Thanks for tuning in to High Green, the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society's official podcast. High Green is funded by your membership in the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society, and any opinions expressed throughout the show are solely those of the owner. We hope you enjoyed today's show, and as always, if you're interested in learning more about our organization, you can visit our website, www.bmrrhs.org. Perhaps this story hasn't been told in B&M circles, but no. it's a B&M story and it's a good one. And the next thing you know, we hear 119 getting out of town with this steam engine working like the hell. He's going up by way of Rutland. This is an oral history tape on Friday, the 20th of February, 1976. We are in the home of Mr. William Fletcher, and to introduce this tape will be Mr. Dana Goodwin. We're going to record a bull session of a group of railroad buffs. Among railroad uh, enthusiasts is commonly called sandhouse gossip, or on the spot, or some other terms which we will not put into print. The members of the panel are Mr. William Flesher, commonly called Bill by his friends, ex-Boston and Maine fireman, and H. Arnold Wilder, well-known railroad buff and writer of railroad articles. Dana Goodwin, railroad photographer, and Todd Goodwin, grandson of Dana, the recording engineer. This is in the home of Mr. Bill Fletcher in Worcester, Massachusetts. Would you state your full name, please? William J. Fletcher. Okay. When were you born? January 1, 1893. Mm-hmm. Where were you born? In Fitchburg, Mass., on Congress Place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you have your boyhood in Fitchburg? I did, yes, up until the time I was, uh, well, uh, let's see, 1910. That would be I went on the Fitchburg Road. About 1911, I went up to Bellis Falls to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so your first employment was in 1910? 1910, July, yes. As a paper boy on the railroad? Well, no, in July 1905, I was a, uh, a newsboy on the train. Uh-huh. And by the way, you know, there was another newsboy on the Fitchburg Railroad. His name was, they called him Popcorn Johnson. He lived down there at the corner of Myrtle Avenue and Lunenburg Street mm-hmm. in that house there. F.L. Drury was right across the street them days, and he was on with old Holden on what would be now number nine in, the, in my day, and uh, they were going to Greenfield this morning, and they went through a bridge up to Royalson, and Popcorn Johnson got killed, yeah. and I think of many other newsboys, too, that got hurt. When you were working as a newsboy in those days, Bill, was it the Armstrong Company that controlled? Yeah, G.W. Armstrong, that's right. Yeah. And the Union News is from North Adams in Detroit. And uh, I forget the one on the New Haven down uh, Newport Way. I forget. I think it, used, it turned out to be Union News in later days. I think that was the Union News. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when did you first become employed by the railroad? And uh, uh, now... Uh, I, in, in 1910, in July, uh-huh. I went in the signal department. And then I had various jobs. I worked in the signal department, 
and then I worked in the engine house up till uh, in 1913. Mm -hmm. I changed jobs there. Yeah. yeah and uh, I worked in the engine house there, and then I went up on the Central Lamont as a fireman. Right. Then I come back to the Fitchburg, the WNP, Boston, Maine, in February the 17th in 1914. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I worked there until. Uh, in March 1927, I was getting laid off, so I got a job on the Worcester Police Force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever get back to the railroad after 1927? They called me back in the floods in 36, but here was a predicament. I had this house, and I had a family, and uh, if I went up there, I, I, all I could see was being laid off. I wanted to go bad enough. If I was single, I'd gone, but uh, uh, I wanted to get on an engine. But uh, I didn't dare to leave here. I stayed, and in, in, uh, in the long run, I come out all right. But jeez, every time I see an engine, I'd be up around Greendale there. Jeez, it'd make me homesick. Uh -huh. Yeah. Could you tell tell me a little bit about what your actual job was as a fireman? What would be the tasks you would do? Well, fire the engine, keep steam up, and watch for signals. And uh -huh. and uh, I had to pass examination, promotion all the time, and and then. Uh, I finally did pass the examination and got promoted, and uh, I did my first run, and I done uh, not never promoted permanently, but I'd get a day now and then. The first time was after World War One. How much did you get paid at the beginning? If you do, you mind? Uh, did they pay well on the Boston Maine? Uh, the rate of the our rate of pay was from uh, well, I should say starting at two fifty and uh, went up around two sixty. Was this an hour per hour? Uh, was this by the hour? Uh, eight hours or less. Uh -huh. If you only worked an hour, you'd get a day's pay. The union was strong enough then. Mm -hmm. uh, for 100, 100 miles or eight hours or less. And the first was 10 hours, you know, up till 1916. Mm -hmm. We worked 10 hours a day. I think on switches, we work 11 and a half. I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so, I think the pay when I got through was around five dollars and forty cents a day. Mm -hmm. All right. Right on. Well, uh, what what we thought we'd like to do is to uh, in in doing research for the Aspenham part of the old Vermont and Massachusetts Railroad, which would eventually become part of the Fitchburg was to determine the changes that were made there at Ashpenham when the railroad, instead of going as it does now in a big curve, commonly known Ashpenham curve, initially came from Gardner and headed north toward the Ashpenham and Winchenden area. And at that point, they were obliged to reverse their engine around the train and head down the hill again to Fitchburg. Because this was a laborious and probably costly operation, the plan was made to build the now-known famous Ashpenham Curve, which would enable trains to go through all the way from Fitchburg to Gardner and beyond. And our friend Bill Fletcher running in the early days and well-versed in the historical lore of, lore of this area, is able to give us a lot of data which otherwise could possibly be lost to future generations. And Bill, you told us that the 
initially the, the railroad was built up there sometime, what, after 1848? Uh, 1849, they got their charter and opened for business. Uh, in 1845, they originally got the charter and they opened for business in 1849. It was called the Massachusetts, uh, Vaughan Massachusetts Railroad. And uh, uh, they run from Fitchburg to uh, Grouts Corner and then up to Brattleboro, 69 miles. And they had a branch that went down to Greenfield, eight miles, and another branch that went from Greenfield to Turner's Falls. And... Uh, after a while, they sold that road from 21 miles from Brattle from Grouch Corner or now Miller's Falls to Brattleboro, and uh, they continued their main line on towards Greenfield. Well, uh, when they got into Greenfield, they uh, got a hold of the Troy and Greenfield Railroad that gave them a, a real route right up to the Hoosick Tunnel. But at the tunnel, it wasn't completed then. They uh, were simonized, waiting for the hole through the tunnel. And the Troy and Boston is the same way on the other side of the hole. And uh, then it went on. And finally, uh, they uh, got a hold of the uh, Troy and Greenfield. And uh, by that, then, they had to come down uh, from the Greenfield station, back down to what's now Cheapside, and go across the Deerfield River there. I got it South River in yours. Mm. But it's the Deerfield River. They ran into the Connecticut. And there they went up the other side of the river through Conway and like that to uh, the tunnel. And uh, on April, on uh, September 1st, 1876, the uh, Alva Crocker, he was uh, some official of the Fitchburg Railroad. He was instrumental in getting the charter. Anyway, him and another group of men there in Fitchburg, and uh, he uh, wanted to show the people what uh, had been accomplished in the last 25 years. And he ran a special train that day. Uh, went earlier in the, from the morning from Fitchburg, and uh, at uh, all the stations, he showed them. Uh, starting at Fitchburg, they had built wooden bridges across the. Uh, uh, Nashway River, right there at the station and just beyond Putnam Street and up to uh, uh, beyond West Fitchburg, an arch bridge they put in there. Uh, granite was. And at uh, uh, all these places he showed them what was going on and then they get up to West Fitchburg and they come to a little uh, station on the left going west and uh, it is a brick affair and uh, had done a deuce of a business, a big business, uh, in heavy products, paper, wooden lumber. And uh, then uh, he went on a, a kind of a circuit or on a high fill to watch it. And another little station on the right. And uh, that uh, done a big business too in paper. And uh, then uh, it went around a series of curves, a big curve through a sand pit. And uh, that took them on under the straight iron up into Westminster. And there they uh, stopped, and uh, the old station was an A-roof building, and very big, and uh, that caught fire in 1909 and burned up. And they built a, another station, a modern one, and uh, on uh, April the 30th in 1914, a freight train came down there 
and derailed right in front of it and almost knocked the station out, they thought. Uh, when the dust cleared off, they hadn't, it hadn't damaged the station, but it came right up to the, the roof of it, boxcars did. It's right there, it shows you in the pictures. And uh, uh, right just beyond the station, bearing off to the left, uh, to the right, I would say, uh, was the uh, sidetrack uh, that uh, went up for about a mile and uh, on a curve. And uh, then uh, the next after that, you come to the water plug. But as, as the railroad got double tracked, they uh, made a middle track between the two mains, east and westbound. So that made four tracks. Uh, about the same distance that that sidetrack was. Uh, it was about a mile, I should say. Then uh, uh, they went on, and you come up to, uh, in later years, Plunkett Sidon. And uh, there the, uh, uh, they used to load a lot of manure, I know, and cars a number. In fact, one of them got away one night, on a Sunday night it was, in 1916 there, and and uh, come down the hill, and there was an engine going to Gardner, a switcher, 262, Drake had her. And uh, the, the first thing they see was this car coming down towards them. So they jumped off and uh, wrecked the engine, wrecked the, oh, the manures all over the engine. <laughs> and uh, then uh, uh, if that car had gone along, there was no engine there. That number 21, a train going to the west, was right behind them. And uh, it had gone into them and been further down, and the speed had been increased. It had been pretty bad wreck, probably, probably some had been hurt. But anyway, from there, a circuitous route, you got up into South Ashburnham, and uh, he showed them there. Uh, if they tried to continue on to go right into the center of Gardner, uh, they'd uh, come to uh, the highest point between Boston and and, uh, and uh, Gardner. That's the highest point of land. In fact, it's the highest point on the Fitchburg Division. And uh, they decided it would be too much for a train to go up there. So uh, they conceived a plan to back back away from the station about a quarter of a mile. And then... Uh, Take and put in a switch back there and start up towards Gardner, South Gardner, East Gardner, I would say. And uh, by going that, they'd get down into Gardner at a lower level. The grade wouldn't be so steep. And, uh, but uh, it would make trains uh, coming from Fitchburg pull up into the Cheshire Yard, head pin, go to the house, then run around the train and couple onto the tail end and, and go up through the switchback and head towards East Gardner. And it was the same if they were coming from the west, they'd come down this over the switchback and pull up into the yard, and the tail end would be the head end going down to Fitchburg. There's a 52 feet to the mile, pretty steep. And uh, then uh, another bad feature was that, uh, like Padna trains, when they'd come in there, they'd uh, come down from the west, and they'd head up towards the... Uh, on the Cheshire towards Winchester, and then they'd run around the train and go down the hill again. But the people would all have to reverse their seats, see? Uh -huh. And uh, it was not a very favorable plan. They didn't like it too well. And Emmons Crocker said that someday they'd change that. They wanted to put in a long curve. They were thinking of it then. And uh, Bill, uh, just a minute. I think that was Alva Crocker. <laughs> 
wasn't it? Alva Crocker, Not yes. No, no, yeah. Emin, I worked Just with... to correct the record. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it was Alva, that's right. Yeah. He was the father of the railroad. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought a lot of him. And he was very kind. Uh, I got papers where uh, if they'd done some good deed for the railroad, he'd reward them with passes, you know. They could give a lot of passes them days. I've heard old conductors tell about people that run brickyards and everything. They all had passes. They're right on the train. They ship freight, sure, you know. Well, anyway, uh, uh, on that day, there was a train come down from Gardner Way over this uh, switchback, pulled up into the yard, and the engine head pinned there and went back to the west, and left the train there without any engine. And the, the train managers, was a common occurrence, they broke the train down to the hill, you know. And at Westminster, they stopped and picked up a patent there. And uh, then they continued on down towards uh, Wachusett through that cut and... Uh, and uh, uh, they went through that cut and uh, stopped at Washington Station. Well, uh, the Westminster, at Westminster, right behind uh, this, this train going down without an engine, was the Burlington Express over the Cheshire Railroad. And they come down there, and uh, the uh, operator, he sensed the danger. They were only three minutes ahead, and... That old customer showing how many fingers, and he held up three to him to show the engineer that he was only three minutes behind the train ahead of him. Well, uh, going in this cut where they go around to the left there, the fireman happened to spot this slow-moving train pulling down to the station, and he hollered to the engineer, and he whistled for brakes, and, uh, but they hit him and knocked the cars off the track and telescoped them and hurt ten people, and, and uh, a little girl, ten years old, she was thrown against the stove and killed. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, 29 years later, right in this same spot was uh, the big Wachusett wreck. Do you remember that, Wednesday, 1905? The butter wreck. Huh? The butter, the butter wreck. wreck, yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw it. At that time, I was a newsboy, and there was no work for a week there on the railroad the next Friday. And... Uh, uh, we all went up to see it. Gee, what a wreck. This car's four high. And it was right in the summertime. And uh, this butter and eggs that were all smashed and the cars were all smashed, it began to run like water. And there was no way of getting rid of the wreck. Uh, only just go in there, wallow in that stuff and take armfuls and load it on flat car and, bar and gondolas and pull them down below the Wachusett station and throw them down the bank there, you know. <laughs> and it took them until the next Friday before they got the road open. But there was, uh, the wreck was a coal train that started out of Fitchburg early that morning with a, uh, a car on the front like a buggy. And uh, that was loaded with Hosmer's men and uh, unloading the coal. The railroad used to unload the coal then. It used to come into Boston, and uh, they'd haul it up to Fitchburg. Then uh, the, this train would take it up to the whatever dock, West Fitchburg or Washington. This had to be West or Wachusett. And they'd go up the westbound, back off, and uh, uh, unload their coal. That day they got through about 3 o'clock, and they pulled out onto the main line, the westbound, up over the switch, and... Uh, then uh, 
and they began backing down to the crossovers on the westbound. There was a brakeman Layton down there. He got killed later, and he, he was uh, had the, what they thought the crossovers open, but probably he didn't because the fireman on the watchers on the uh, butter train said that the signal was white, clear. The engineers, both engineers, were killed. Well, anyway, uh, uh, while they were backing down, at the same time, this butter train 540, engine 1174. Uh, they uh, were coming uh, from South Ashman, I left there at 329, I think, and uh, when they come down the straight iron, this fireman Cox, he see the signal was clear, but when they went around the curve, he spotted the fusee that thinned the, the, the uh, flagman on the 1087, the coal train, had dropped off, besides they got the guns. And uh, he went a little ways further, and you see the 1080, 1090, 1087 backing across the road. And he hollered to Kendall to stop, but it was too late. The two engines collided, and uh, one engine went right to the right, the 774, and drove itself right into the boiler butt, right into that bank. And the other engine, 1087, tipped over on the right side and uh, headed west, long power with the westbound main. And then the cars all piled up. And there was a brakeman. His name was Briam. He sat there with uh, Charlie Brooks, uh, a brakeman, and both of them. And they'd been working on the retainers, you know. And uh, he sat there on the uh, uh, running board, and they see what is going to happen. Brooks, he'd run back towards the buggy, but Briam, they found him uh, tow, uh, way ahead of the both engines. He was dead, and uh, both engineers are killed, and blood the fireman. His father was on the New Haven there, the old colony, the old agricultural railroad. And uh, anyway, uh, he, uh, he jumped and escaped. Besides the men in the cars, they all got out. And uh, it was a pretty bad wreck. But uh, getting back to uh, Alba Crocker, he's now down at Gardner, and uh, they continue on up towards the tunnel. And uh, when they get into Greenfield, they uh, pull down to the depot. Then they had to back back to Cheapside and go across the Deerfield River and go up through Conway and that way up to the tunnel. And uh, uh, going when they uh, got to the tunnel, which didn't open for another year, it's a kind of a horrible sight, I guess, up there. He uh, warned the people, if you're kind of afraid to go through, he says, get off here and I'll prepare you lunch. Uh, we pick you up from coming back. But everybody stayed on, and they went through, and they had a nice lunch there in, in uh, North Adams. And then they started back. And uh, he, uh, he, he gave them a good time. It was a nice day. But uh, that down wreck there on September 1st kind of dampened the scene a little bit. And uh, then they used to uh, have a lot of runaways on Ashpenham Hill. From the very beginning, they'd uh, start these trains down the hill and through ice on the brake shoes or something, they'd get out of control. But they always seemed to stop them before they got into Fitchburg. And uh, on, uh, the, in 1889, I think it was April 23rd, there was a train coming into South Ashnam from the west, 24 cars. And they uh, pulled up into the Cheshire Yard and... Uh, Turn and uh, the engine, as I say, went right back, 
to Gardner on the westbound, and uh, the uh, the cars somewhere or another got loose. Uh, the brakes released some way. They don't know how it happened. But anyway, they tore down the hill. Every rod they were making speed. And uh, at these mills that we speak about, these paper mills there in West Fitchburg and Washington, they made them cars made such a roar that they all run to the windows to see them going by. Some said they were going 100 miles an hour. But they landed in Fitchburg at Putman Street there, and they become derailed. And uh, oh, it made an awful mess. They all went to pieces. And uh, two of the cars dragged along the ground and to, just below the station, the platform there in Fitchburg. Bill, I'd like to go back to the runaway cars that uh, they had the rear ender at Wachusett, the passenger job. You said they oh, let them yes. down the hill without an engine? That's right. Was that common practice? There's a regular practice then. Passenger uh, training? Even old Tobe, that was an old conductor there on the Cheshire Railroad, he used to bring them all down that way. And once in a while he'd have an engine, but very seldom. And uh, I, I, I can't find out of any wrecks where he ever had. Everybody used to praise him so that he didn't understand how that he ever... Uh, carried them down there, especially in cold weather, when the brakes are all froze and, and stormy weather than that. But he was successful all the time. And he used to, he was a characteristic man and that he had uh, a big ulster on, you know, long, and his brakeman just same with big beards, you know. And uh, they all used to remark about uh, how wonderful he could bring them trains down, them, them three men on the... Uh, Mountain roads up there, they'd get run away and they couldn't stop them, you remember? With, with an engine on. Yes, they yeah. have an engine on. The number 13 there, yes, the sure. Chikora, yeah. I remember that, yeah. But uh, that's well, what they... Some of the trains come through with an engine? Huh? Didn't oh, some yes, the they had to because there'd be cars coming back. But you see, sure. there was cars coming down from the Cheshire and were going west and they, they'd accumulate enough there and so that a train would come down from the west and they'd be cars enough to go back, so they'd uh, give them a train and let them go back and mm. let the train get down the hill alone. Yeah, they did that. But they were a great set of men on that Cheshire Road and uh, the Fitchburg and Vermont, Massachusetts. Mm. I mean, they were awful good railroaders. And uh, they uh, would uh, give them eight or nine cars on the head end. With their uh, brakes. With their brakes. And the rest, uh, the 22, would be scabs, as they call them. There no brake on them. And uh, hand brakes. And, uh, and this fellow, Duncan, he come out of, of uh, Williamstown this morning. There was another job ahead of him all the way, too. And uh, uh, he got along fine. Didn't have to apply the brake at all until he got over to where you begin to get down the hill into South Ashburnham. And... Uh, they started down, and uh, two of the cars of that nine were not working, so that only made him seven. And he didn't know it, but just as soon as they started, he sensed right off that they were out of control, and so he whistled for brakes. And uh, they all got on the brakes, but this job ahead of them stopped at South Aspen and he went in them all over. And uh, had quite a bad wreck there. They had the... Uh, the 118 engine should become the 1063 in our day. And uh, uh, he was discharged. 
enough for not having this train under control. And the appeal of the railroad commissioners in Massachusetts, and the, uh, they sustained the railroad. And, uh, he didn't have his train properly under control. He didn't know that he'd done just the same as they did always. And uh, as uh, time went on, you know, uh, they began to begin to read up about the air brake. Different men become pretty well averse on it. And uh, uh, they, uh, they began to know about retainers. They didn't know anybody know about retainers. Uh, that carries 15 pounds in the brake cylinder. Don't discharge it. Make the brake drag down the hill. And they didn't know about that. Well, as a result of these men uh, learning about the break, and even the railroad company began to sense that there was something wrong, they uh, insisted that you have a bigger percent of breaks when you started down in the grades. So uh, uh, there was this fellow, his name was Babcock. He uh, hit a tail end on the hill there, and he'd been reading up about the breaks, retainers and all like that. And he, one of the things he read about was uh, long piston travel on the cars. I think in uh, our day it was about 15 inches. Wow. Uh, before they, uh, yeah. uh, they uh, when it hit the cylinder, they want to be, the breaker be worth it, is that car. So anyway, he went back and he found out that uh, many cars didn't have no brake pressure on them. I mean, no, no braking power. So... Uh, he reported to the company, and they took a different attitude and looked at it all together. They didn't fire him. But Fort Duncan, they did, you know. <laughs> Fort Duncan was in the same fix, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, as time went on, they uh, improved on the air brake, and then they got them retainers. They began finding out that they were a pretty good thing. They'd start down the hill, and uh, first they wouldn't stop. They'd just uh, go from car to car and pull up the retainer and, and let the other one down. They'd change them in route when they were moving. But uh, in later years, with heavier trains, they'd start out of, of uh, the top of the hill there at East Gardner and start down the hill in Westminster, they'd stop. And those cars with retainers, there'd be all blue smoke coming from them, dragging down the hill, them brakes, you know, but they were saving them. And uh, then they'd stop there and, and put up 10 more or whatever the engineer wanted, 15 of dogs. And uh, they were pretty careful about them retainers. Nowadays, I guess they don't, they, they do it with the diesel some way. They have some kind of a break on the diesel. But anyway, uh, the retainers were pretty good. Uh, Bill, the one thing you spoke about, uh, remember they had a little uh, branch line from South Ashmanham over to the center? Yes, yes. And uh, a little episode over at the Ashmanham end of it you were telling me about once. Uh, well, was that the time when the 809 went through the house? Yeah, tell us yeah. about that. Well, uh, the train going in Ash Ashpenham, from South Ashpenham, was going down this grade. And prior to that, some of the boys around there, I understand there was two of them that uh, greased the rail for about a quarter of a mile. <laughs> when the engineer went to put the brake on to stop at South Ashpenham Station, he couldn't stop and... Uh, as a notch uh, engine house there, they went right through it, and the engine went out in the field. Uh, the uh, uh, head end of the car, about six or seven feet of that, went out in the field too. There's a picture of it over there. 
<laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, they had a little engine on that road, you know. Uh, she she was a Mason engine, built in eighteen seventy three, and uh, she was a very pretty engine, and uh, it was the only engine they had. And then when the Fitchburg Railroad took over, they uh, made the her name was Watetic, but they uh, made her into an inspection engine, and she. Uh, run on the Fitchburg Railroad up and down, and uh, in 1901, she burned out to Mechanicville, New York. Then they brought her to Keene, scrapped her then. What was it named when it was on the Boston and Maine? Uh, it was the... Uh, Did they change the name? It was the Boston, wasn't it? It's right there. You look at it, it's right there. Well, I have a picture of the Boston. That's why I wonder if that That's was the, the same I think they're number 77. That's the engine with uh, the white train President Roosevelt had. That's watching. The 77. She was originally the Ashmanham Railroad, Watetti. She was built by the Mason locomotives and was delivered to the road October the 29th in 1873. She was a 4 a 12 by 22 cylinder, pretty small, you see, 54-inch drivers. The Fitchburg Railroad, when they took control, made her the 108. Then in 1895, was renumbered 79. That year, she was rebuilt at Keene into an inspection engine. Her number was changed to 77. Then in 1899, become 100 on the B&M. In 1900, made her the 900. She was destroyed in a fire Mitville engine house in 1901. Uh, don't say anything about the Boston name. Well, it's, uh, it is the Boston. The name yeah. is there. It's Boston. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's yeah. the name, the Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's the Boston. Yeah. The, the, he won't hurt you. When, when you were first up there, no. Bill, they hadn't electrified it, did they? No, no, they didn't electrify it until 1911. Yeah. Them, them engines you used to see down at Cumberland Mills, uh, them 1200s. Those 1200s. Yeah, they were up there. The only yeah. difference, like you said, they used to keep them clean down the Cumberland Mills. Oh, didn't they, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And they had two firemen on them down there, but they were oil burners in the tunnel. Yes. Well, yeah. they were on the main central originally. Is that so? But the boys had trouble learning the firemen. They converted them to coal. Yeah. Then well, they, they had sent to put a lot of men on. down from the, from the boss main to show them how to fire them, too. Yeah. Waterville. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, you're talking about the ice cars at Ayer brings up a point. Do you remember the ice house at Sandy Pond? Oh, yes, yeah, across the river. Well, the now tell me, what was the track layout? Where did those... Well, it went in over long wires, I remember, from the Boston Stony Brook, you know. Off the Stony Brook? Off the Stony Brook, yes. Did they have a connection to the Fitchburg? Up to the tower, up to the diamond. Not down there? No, no. No, later years, they did. They What they call it, Flanagan's, didn't they? They come from the Stony Brook right across, and they did away with that portion of the track from the ice track up to the tower where the, the ball signal was, where you used to get the four balls across the road. You know where that was? Yes. It, well, what brings us up, we have an old map that shows uh, a line coming out of the ice house, yeah. crossing the highway, yeah. and crossing the Stony Brook onto the Fitchburg. Well, that's in later years. And Arnold says he didn't think so. No, not in they put that in later years, way down there. They come across the Fitchburg, come up from Littleton here, 
Then this line coming from the, the Boston right. Bowl. Yeah. Uh, yes, they did. They, they well, when, the, when, the, when the Stony Brook ran all the way from from the, the uh, depot the depot down there, there was no connection then. No, no, from the no, ice house no, over there. No, no, no. Well, no. the ice went in on the Stony Brook then, right? That's right. Well, yeah. not on the Fitchburg. But uh, we didn't get none of that ice. The local used to handle that. The B and B local, they called it, used to come up from Beverly or uh, no Be Bedford, wasn't it? There was an engine house down there. They used to come up there and pick up them ice cars and lug them here into Boston. But the Fitchburg guys coming down from Brooklyn would go down over the Fitchburg about four o'clock in the afternoon. Scruton would bring them in from Milford and and put them in the Southern Division yard. And then we'd put them over there on that side, you know. Well, our point was, did the ice from Sandy Pond go into Boston over the Fitchburg no, or over the, the Stony Brook? No, the other road. The yeah. other road. That B&B &B local. But they did put a track across later. Later. Yeah, a connection. They took the, the, the uh, Boston Lowell or the Stony Brook from just this side of North Little and then put them across under the Fitchburg. And they abandoned that part uh, up through the old yard there. Yeah, well, that was a lot later, though. Yeah, that, well, that would be in the, the 30s and 40s around there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 I've got the track plan of that one when it was done. I could give you the date, and I think it was at least into the 40s. Uh, I was there the day they cut over. Oh, the last train true? over the uh, tracks up to air till they came up over on the Fitchburg. Yeah, there. yeah. You know, uh, uh, one night, you know, the train control went in there. And on the Fitchburg, they put in a hundred miles. Remember that? Yes, very well. And uh, so uh, I was on the Boston freight, and uh, this night, a fellow named Thompson was the conductor. Forty-one seventy-one was the buggy, and uh, he says, uh, uh, "You were pulling down there to Flanagan's, and uh, we're going to let a." A nice train, uh, no, a train of grapes go by us. It's going to be a double header, and they ain't going to stop all the way to Boston for water. And uh, so uh, we pulled in there and sat there quite a while. And at last, this double header went by us. Sixty some cars of grapes, I think they had. <laughs> right by us, you know. And uh, so uh, we pulled out behind them. And uh, we didn't see any more of them until they began to climb the hill out of Littleton to Boxborough, don't you know? And then we began to get yellow blocks, and uh, after we got to the top of the hill, uh, somebody going by, after we got to the top of the hill, uh, going down into West Acton, uh, we didn't see any more of them. Everything was clear. But the block right there at West Acton Station was yellow, see? Then you go down around uh, uh, a little curve to the right, and then you take that big, long left curve uh, and go down into South Acton, see? So uh, this block there is yellow. And we had a fellow named a Burnham uh, engineer, and he didn't acknowledge, he acknowledged the block, but he didn't put the brake on. And uh, here's the area, going like a son of a gun. And uh, Freddie Britton and I, were on the fireman's seat, we're drifting, you know, and Jesus, he looked across there and we could see the tail end and right underneath was a block, see? So he hollered the Burnham winger, so he did, you know, that engine, it seems like we had 2685, 
never went so fast. There was that buggy coming right up to us. And the fellows in the buggy, they get off. And they never come back near the engine, and they says, uh, and they never said anything to us. They evidently thought we made a hell of a good stop, see, to come in the way we were. But if we ever hit that tail end, here it was, the Boston Herald, the Globe, and everything, all telling about no more tail end collisions. And uh, there we were, right on the brink of it. See, if we ever hit that tail end, we made the papers all right, we wouldn't have no job either. Oh, gee, it was what a narrow escape. Yeah. Do you remember the bad wreck at Baker Bridge? Oh, yes. Were yeah, you working I remember then? that, yeah. And I remember the engines, 1171 to 956. What year was that, Bill? That was uh, November 26, 1905. And uh, that... Uh, uh, that train, the Marlboro train, was number 285, and they left Boston that Sunday night at 7.16. And uh, they uh, had five cars. They had a combine and, and uh, four coaches, and they was making all the stops. And uh, at the Nar station, at 745-573, the Montreal Express, up over the Cheshire, where it left. And uh, they had a double header, the 956, as I say, the 1138. And uh, uh, Fred Wade from Fitchburg was the engineer on the second engine. Urban Conrad was his fireman. And uh, Frank Lyons and Roy Barnard were on the 956. Roy Barnard was killed in the wreck. Well, uh, they uh, began, a, the local began a loose tie with a this Roy Barnard, he wasn't very skillful. I think it was about his first trip out on the road. And probably Parrot was helping him keep up steam. She probably wasn't steaming. He was losing time. So at Lincoln, they were only a minute apart between uh, 285 and 573. But uh, in them days, they used to space the train with green lights. Every crossing tender or station would put out a green light to show that for five minutes, uh, another train had gone ahead of them. And at uh, Great Road Crossing, that's below Lincoln there, where you come up around the curve, uh, he put out a green light, and this uh, Donut Gothia, he was the flagman, and he uh, sensed right off that he was right on 573's time, and him and the connector, they kept throwing off fusees, you know. He, I think, fired off between Silver Hill and Lincoln, I think he spent about three fusees. And McHugh, uh, the uh, operator there at uh, Lincoln, he uh, uh, put out a, a spacing signal to her uh, and, and showed uh, them fellas that they were only two or three minutes behind the Baker Bridge, uh, the local. And so uh, Wade, just a, uh, Urban, uh, the fly fireman, he says... Uh, Look out in the middle there and see if that uh, 285 ain't pulled in. Get out of our way. So he looked out and he see uh, there was no train in there. And uh, he told Wade. And uh, Lyons, he began going uh, all straight iron from there to Baker Bridge. You go into Codman's Bridge and there was a red fusee there. And there was a red, another red fusee. But... Uh, you couldn't see no tail end, and that fooled him. It fooled probably any ten men, because this parrot, he probably was down firing, but he worked the engine very hard and uh, then shut off, and clouds of black smoke would fall down on the track.
was a clear, cool night, and uh, a, uh, uh, the uh, markers were hid. He couldn't see them, see? He was running through this fog, and he didn't know it. About 200 feet before he got to the... He uh, come upon the tail end, and, and the parrot on the 285 there, he had run by the station, the whole train length, so that the markers were right underneath the bridge, smoke pouring down behind them. And he, they, they went right through one car and partway through another. And uh, Wade told me, he says, uh, uh, they stopped. You know, he said, at first, he said, I thought the bridge fell down. But they got off the engine, and the first thing he came across was Donut Gothy. He was badly hurt. But other people come along. Fletcher was the conductor. And uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, come across lions, and Barnard was right there, and uh, he was dead. So uh, they couldn't do no more. Others come up, and so they went into the second car, and there was a girl, and the seats had crowded right ahead. Others were caught just the same way, but this one in particular had a big plume on her hat, ostrich plume, and uh, they tried to pull the seats apart, but they couldn't, and all this time, the lights were... Uh, uh, I mean, the fire, the lamps there had fell down and caught the fire, the cars on fire. Tongue and flame were coming all around. And they stayed just as long as they could. And they got up on the bank, and Wade says to Lyons, he says, uh, didn't you see them fusees at Codman's and Vickerbrick? He says, yes. And then just then he went kind of a cirque, and he went, and they found him the next morning, way down to Waltham. He'd walked way back there. And uh, anyway, uh, the 956 had got across, but uh, I think there was 26 that burnt to death in that. And I heard about them going to settle their claims down there in the, the uh, old offices where they were in the old Boston old station there. I heard Medeiros tell me about it. He was running the elevator there, about all the people that are coming in. And Donut Goffey, he died about a week later. He was badly hurt, you know. That was the flagman. Yeah, that was a bad wreck. Uh, that morning, I used to open up the uh, newsstand there in Fitchburg, and I'd meet train 25 uh, at 6.30 in the morning. That was the first I heard of it. And I got down to the station, you know. And uh, everybody was talking about the wreck on Baker Bridge. That was the first I heard of it. It was the same in the Canaan wreck. First I heard it was the next Monday morning. That happened on a Sunday. But there was no radio in them days, you know. What a difference. Just uh, get the paper in the morning mm -hmm. or the telegraph and, and get around where uh, an operator was and he'd tell you what was going on, see. Yeah. Lansenburg wreck, just the same way. That was a bad wreck. You remember the uh, head-on at AR right in the station? Yes, the 3621, the, uh, on, on 846, and uh, 3682, and 5510. That's right. Eddie Hatfield and Foster was on Foster that. Foster was on the... Uh, Foster was on 5510. Yeah. And uh, George Goss, his engineer on uh, the 3682, full name of Howlett, was, was on uh, with him, 846, coming to Worcester. They met right on the crossover, don't you know? Yes. Yeah. And that uh, Friday before, you know, uh, no, the Tuesday before, the 4th of... Uh, November, wasn't it? November, yes. Election day. Uh, that big wreck over to Clinton happened. That was a bad one, too. 
I used to fire for that Bill Moore, and he was the most strictest man on rules you ever see, you know. Yeah. He was the engineer of the local? He was on the 3216, yeah. Yeah. What happened that day? Did he just forget well, things or what? Uh, it's a funny thing. Chet Smith was firing for him, and he told me, he says uh, that morning, the conductor, he see him talking with the, uh, uh, the engineer, Bill Moore, but it was routine. He did it every morning, staying to clear till they went by, see? But this morning, they had that 3216. If you ever was on one of them engines, they were an engine that uh, had an awful force to go ahead and it was awful hard to stop them. And whether that engine creeped up on him or not, but anyway, they were in the clear, and the next thing Jesus Chet see where they were and this job coming, he jumped off and Moore stayed on though, and he tried to, I guess, go ahead of them to, to uh, run out the station, but uh, they, they come into him before they did and had that bad wreck. Yeah. They said potatoes were five feet deep. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were. The 26, uh, 62, 62 and the, and the uh, 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 3024? 3024, I guess, yes, yeah. Old Santa Fe Mudsucker. Yeah, them five driver ones, yeah. 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 I never happened to fire one of those. I never fired a trailer either. That's all. But I fired plenty of those bar harbors, you know, the sections of the 3600. It was such a pleasure to fire them engines. Gee, all I had to do was put it inside the door and the engine would lay right up there. You couldn't knock the steam off them. <laughs> yeah. That's how I happened to come out. It was uh, after I got bumped off the switcher in air, that job that where we saw the fellow run over, you know, uh, and uh, how I kicked the cars there that time. Well, uh, that, uh, I wanted to get some of the Spa Harbor work, so... The first morning that I marked them on the board, I was sent down to South Worcester. And uh, that's where all the Panda Power put up then, New Haven House, you know. And I was to fire train 617 and come back on 612 and then run the scoops at night out to Barber, see. So uh, I got on this engine, like, uh, I think it was around 883 or some of them small engines. And... Uh, I got up on there and I put my dinner basket and uh, uh, my coat in uh, the seat box. It was full of waste, see? So I took the waste out and I put it in the back of the seat box and put my coat and hat in there. Well, this old engineer, George Hubbard, a hell of a nice old fellow afterwards, I got acquainted with him. Uh, he uh, uh, Come out, he looked at the board and see a phone named Fletcher going to fire for him. Nobody he ever saw. I was working down to Portland all the time. So he began to worry about steam and making the meat up to the Crystal Lake there, the, the down train 6-8. And uh, so uh, he got up on the engine. He spotted the waste behind the seat box. And he says, who put that waste back there? Well, I said, I put my uh, coat and hat there and my dinner bale. Oh, he says... Uh, the, uh, all I had to do was reach up on the tank box, little low tank, 3,000 gallons, and he says, we carry our clothes up in there. He says, why don't you put yours up in there and take my coat too, he says, and put up there. So I did. And uh, so I, I went and cleaned up the engine. He filled up the oil can. He got down on the left side and began uh, 
uh, oiling up, so wedges, eccentrics, and like that. So uh, I went to put the injector on. Geez, I'd been putting them on for three years, but uh, this one happened to break, and she had an outside water overflow on her, and this gush of water come up, and it splashed him all over with water and mud and like that, see? So he jumped back up in the engine, he's mad. And he says, if you don't know how to use these things, he says, leave them alone. He thought I was a brand new man. I didn't say nothing to him, but I, I got up on the engine. Uh, he got down on the engine again, and he went all around, and I went clean and left the cab. Well, he got up again, and he began to tell me, if you don't feel able to fire this job, here's the place to get off, right here. Well, I says, I guess I can fire it all right. I, I was used to all them kind of engines on the CV. They had little teapots, you know, 103 and 101 and them engines with the nice whistles. They had them, same as them chimes that they had on the boss main effort. Well, anyway, uh, we started out, and uh, we got up to Holden, see? And right in front of the, the uh, uh, engine was the crossing. Well, he says, I'm waiting for you to ring the bell. Well, uh, you know, when you're firing freight service, you don't very seldom sit down. You lean out the camera, and that's what I was doing. So I jumped up, and I rang the bell, and we went over the crossing. And I put in another fire, and I began sending the gangway again. He says, uh, no, come over here. So I did, and, and he says, you know, he says, when you put in a fire, he says, you'll get up on the seat and ride. He says, you know, there's too many of these engines are pulling apart. Al Gagnon and Mick Meekin, and I knew so many that did. So uh, I said, all right, I did that. And, but we've been having steam right up to now. And from there on up to Crystal Lake, we had all kinds of steam, you know. And uh, we pulled in and made the, the meet with 6-8 there. And uh, then we went and jogged along over to Winston, connected with 517, the Green Mountain Flyer. And uh, uh, then we turned around. We come back all downhill, 26 miles. And we uh, uh, come into Worcester flying, you know, no steam at all. Well, anyway, we turned the engine and hooked on some cars and pulled up to the depot to run the scoots. And I got out and sat on a truck while we were waiting, you know. And he come down and he said, side of me. And he began to get acquainted. He says, uh, what's your name and all like that, you know. And he says, uh, where'd you learn to fire? He began to tell him. Oh, he says, before he got done, geez, I began to get his history too, you know. He was a, the chairman of the engineers and settling their grievances, and uh, he had a great big beard, big black beard, same as yours, and big teeth. And uh, he says, uh, I was in a wreck, he says, uh, down there to uh, South Lancaster at the Nashua River Bridge. He says, did you ever hear of it? And I said, no. So he told me about it. It was September the 2nd, 1989. There was a train 24, a local, come over from Nashway, coming to Worcester. And he was on an extra 258 going to Rochester. So uh, he got to the end of the double iron in them days at Clinton Junction, uh, Clinton, uh, South Lancaster, I'd say. Uh, he uh, couldn't go any further because 24 was due. So the operator, the uh, conductor went into the opera and he got an order that uh, said they'd meet him over to Still River. Well, uh, seems this fellow Thurston was the agent over there and uh, an operator in Air Junction. And the dispatcher asked him, is 24 going in yet? And he never got off his behind to get up and look at the uh, 
register book, and but 24 had come in. He was absent from the office for some reason, and he didn't notice that 24 had gone, see? And he says, no, they're not here. So that's when he got the order to meet uh, 258 at Still River. And uh, so it's uh, through a sag there, and you get quite a run on them. And they had the 232 Blinker Warren and a fellow name of uh, uh, Blinker Warren's brother it was. And uh, I used to see him down in Rochester after the old engineer. I can't think of his name now. Anyway, uh, they met head on there. He had the 257, and the 232 was a Hollis is on the uh, other job, the local, 24. It's a bad wreck, and uh, it was on a Saturday morning. Gee, they were all taken to the hospital. They were all hurt bad. The engines, they both come together and went down the bank head first. Yeah, it was a bad wreck. And he says, I was scared in that wreck. But he says, geez, I was more scared, he says, uh, going out of Wyndham and down Derry Dock, he says the section man had a rail out down there. He says, geez, we had to jump, he says. And I was more scared in that wreck. This other one come out of a clear sky, you know. They didn't see the headlights until they were right on top of one another. So, but he was quite an old buck at that. He died of cancer afterwards. Yeah. Nice old fella. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. That's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society or joining us, you can visit our website, www.bmrrhs.org.